How has mindfulness helped you to not be so judgmental of other people, basically? Well, that awareness, just the awareness, like yeah. the awareness of, wait a minute, I'm judging. Mm-hmm. I used to just have the bias in my brain, and that's what spilled out on everybody else with my nonverbals, with my, with my speech, with how I treated people. And then now it's, wait, I... Would I want that to be done to me? I, that's what I try to, yeah. like, ooh, I feel that feeling about them, and I notice that, and wow, where does that come from? I often ask that. I'm like, I, instead of trying to put it on them, why am, I, why am I judging that person for that? What does it matter? Thank you for checking in with us on this edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. And remember that our goal here is to entertain your brain and entertain we shall. But before we get started, I want to remind you all to please go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download the podcast that you listen to and hit the subscribe button for our show, the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast, so that you can bring the variety straight through your ear holes and into those big, beautiful brains of yours without even having to think about it. You can also download the episodes of the launching pad for all things cerebral at thecepodcast.com. And also, don't forget that we love staying in touch with you all, so be sure to reach out to us on the socials or by email at cerebral at thecepodcast.com. Now for this edition of the CEP, we bring you Michelle Benedict, Part 2. Michelle is a mindfulness practitioner who specializes in working with children. She's also a fantastic speaker on the subject of mindfulness, and you can and should find her TEDx talk on YouTube to further educate yourself on this subject. During the conversation, we talk about mindfulness practice during the formative years for childhood and the potential that comes with that. We also dive into the topics of free will, the self, the divine, and more. So if you'd like to delve into the deeper nature of our existence on this planet, then this episode shan't disappoint. So without further introduction, here we go. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to yet another edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. I am James, and with me, as always, is my good friend, Colt. You know it. And we have a returning guest with us today, Ms. Michelle Benedict, a.k.a. Mindfulness Michelle. And that's the the moniker that I gave you. I don't know that anyone else has ever called you that. Last I checked the hat, and I was hoping it would catch by now, but... I don't know. Maybe this time around. It'll Maybe catch. this time around. So, I'm hoping so. Yeah. Good morning. <laughs> Thanks for coming down and talking with us today, Michelle. I appreciate you uh, coming down like it was no big deal whatsoever. We usually go to our guests. I think you might be one of, well, not the first, but one of the first guests to, yeah, guest to come to us. And so that's awesome of you. Thanks a lot. No problem. Like I said, I love a road trip. So yeah. And this it was is an easy one. And this is not Canada. This is a I minor know. road trip for you. <laughs> I know. I need to go back and stop by the mine. I've actually never been to that, so yeah. I think I might stop by. Is that right? That. Yeah. yeah. Is it cool? I've never been, actually. Have Are you serious? Been to the mine? Yeah, but yeah. I, I wasn't there until like I was in my 30s, I think, okay. already. So. And I don't feel so bad. And I'm from here, have lived here, close to here, pretty much all my life. So, yeah. But yeah, it's pretty, it's sweet. Okay. It's really nice and cool down there, and you can take a boat ride. Cool. Through the the lake that's underground and a lot of neat rock things to look at, right? I like so, caves. yeah, yeah, it's, it's a one big of those cave. Things like if you're if you don't live here, it sounds like really cool to go to. But then if you are ten minutes away from it, you're like, eh, maybe one day, yeah, right? Eventually, Not, yeah, right. It, it's what we're all gonna fall into when the big earthquake hits, right? That's true. So they've we'll been get... telling me that for twenty years. <laughs> yeah, right. Anytime, right. anytime now. Well. Right. <laughs> At any rate, we're glad to have you down. Hopefully that earthquake doesn't hit while you're here and, and give you a, a bad, give the volunteer minds a bad name. But anyway, uh, thanks again for coming. And I know you've been busy lately, so talk about some of the changes that uh, you've in- encountered 
uh, since the last time we talked. Well, I think we talked in like February, yeah, January, February, something like that. Yep. It's been a so, while. So, um, so since since then, I've done a whole bunch of other conferences and workshops, and um, and at the end of March, I am no longer working for Be Mindful, which was the nonprofit that I was working for mm-hmm. um, last year, and decided to step back into the classroom. Um, for some period of time, I can't really say how long, but right now I'm sort of working on my side business, Mindful Transformations, which is a speaking and presenting and training um, business um, that I've been doing on the side that I did before I was with Be Mindful, and that's one of the reasons they found me. Yeah. And now I'm working with schools and and a few businesses, and and really want to kind of expand from where I uh, from all the things that I learned in the last year, and hopefully in the next couple of years, kind of branch out and do my do that full time. Good. So off the mic, we were talking a little bit about the challenges, if you will, and we won't go down this rabbit hole too much. It'll take too much time mm-hmm. and get us too emotional, but some of the challenges of working in the educational system, but I have to say what you're doing, you know, being mindful, you know, and injecting that into education is something that you're not the only one doing it, but you're not, it's not saturated by any means. There are not enough people um, who are practicing mindfulness, especially with the with the kids in the education system, because a lot of people I think still don't understand the benefits of of you know being mindful, practicing mindfulness with children. So if you could paint a picture for me, what would it be like if a a major at least a bigger component of the educational system was practicing mindfulness with children at a younger age? What kind of consequences would that have for that generation coming up? Do you think? Well, I mean, first of all, we would have kids that used uh, their logic more instead of their emotion to make decisions. Mm. And imagine the kind of society that we could have if we had more people doing that. Because right. most people, because they are in automatic kind of pilot mode, they aren't very mindful of their triggers or how they feel whenever they're starting to escalate and they just react instead of responding to life. They make decisions and say things and do things that they may not really want to do, <laughs> right. but they did them. And kids are the same way. So if we had, if we give kids that ability at a younger age, then they could um, be able to have more self-control, which would allow them to do more, to achieve more, to be more fully who they are without building all these mechanisms for the things that they're trying to cope with Yeah, because of the world. So if you can be more authentically yourself and feel good in that then wow. I mean, can you give us some examples of those mechanisms you're talking about? So, um, so for example, um, executive functioning skills are highly impacted by your ability, like by being mindful. So your ability to focus where a lot of kids have problems with things, they're being diagnosed in high rates of ADHD, which I could talk about diet all day long with that, Mm. but also just kids ability to self-regulate sometimes looks like attention issues and kids are kids and we try to put them in a chair for seven hours which isn't even developmentally appropriate for them that's not a that's not what we should be doing with kids anyway but that also becomes a problem for them so making a kid who uh, just an average kid who isn't built to sit in a chair for seven hours maybe doesn't eat very well and um isn't mindful they they are gonna look like they can't sit still and be quiet because they can't. Right. <laughs> so with mindfulness, your ability to focus goes way up. Um, plus your ability to notice when you start to get escalated and then can intervene. Um, I 
myself had a really hard week. It was about, so I found myself intervening a lot for myself, um, as I found like, because I'm very self-aware. So building that, building that practice in kids makes them self-aware, makes them the the ability to focus, makes their then ability to communicate better Mm. because when you can stop and think and say what you really mean to say versus what your emotions will have you say. Because whenever you're emotionally charged, you're not using this part of your brain, that smart part of your brain. You're using your amygdala to make decisions for you, which is almost 90% of the time not going to make a good one unless you're running from a bear and need to be running. (laughs) Right. And that's not 90% of our life's triggers are not actual real danger. They're perceived danger, but our brain thinks that danger is real. Mm -hmm. And so that happening over and over is is part of our problem. So kids being able to notice that feeling, intervene for themselves would allow, it, it, it would change the game. It really would. It would change it for not only the kids, but for the adults around them um, because we would be able to teach more. We would be able to um, help them achieve more and learn more. Right. So one of the things they'd be able to do is to have the awareness to help themselves. Right. Because something that, and you, you've alluded to this through this whole discussion so far, but we oftentimes, as people, but especially as kids, we don't notice that our emotions are driving us. Right. We, we think that we are thinking things through when actually it's just our emotions. We're right. following the lizard brain, if you will, exactly into the, the constant fight or flight, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's not just perceived danger, but irrational threats and irrational fears, mm-hmm. irrational anger. You know, These things, anger and fear, are, are very basic and healthy emotions. But they become disordered because we don't have the processing. We don't use the processing power. Let me say we we don't we don't uh, tap into that resource that we have innately, mm-hmm. and that's something that mindfulness helps us to do. Right? I mean, it helps right. us to to notice first, and then at that point in time, we can start to to respond to whatever's going on up there. What's interesting is that we're actually born with that innate noticing. If you watch a baby and watch a toddler, they notice everything. Mm. They might not know how to process it but we're born with that innate noticing and then over time we become inundated with all of our sensory stuff and all the demands of what we're supposed to be and you know the culture and lifestyle and society things that we have um and then kids get handed a device uh that kind of thing you know so then their brains are on super speed and then they stop noticing so but we are really born with that that innate noticing power it's just we have to remember we become distracted we do by you mentioned devices, that's for one thing. That's yeah. pervasive in society right now, mm-hmm. and I would love to say that my kids were immune to it, but they're not. Right. I mean, Minor. you know, it's 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 just it's it's a fact of life, and you've got to be technologically, you know, adept Correct. right now in order to be able to survive, and it's just going to keep getting more and more that way as time goes on. But at some point in time, I mean, are we? Are, I like to listen to to different discussions on not just virtual reality, but the uh, augmented reality mm-hmm. and how that's really going to take, you know, like the Google glasses, I guess, is one one example where it, you're not completely injecting yourself into a different reality, but you're, you're splicing technology mm-hmm. with your humanity, and that's going to become common, is right. at least the, the theory. That, and your brain doesn't know the difference. Right, exactly. And that's what, that's what bothers me. Same thing with, like, video games, like if you pay... Um, consistently play violent video games, your brain over time builds connections that becomes desensitized to that mm. act. Well, do we, especially like there's ones that, you know, where you just are shooting people. That's all you're doing is shooting people. Okay. <laughs> 
Uh, we shouldn't be want kids to be desensitized to shooting someone. Yes. We should not want that. That should not be it. Like it would be de- like I used to play Deer Hunter, that arcade ga- game whenever I was a kid. You <laughs> sure. know, my dad uh-huh. would bowling. That was one I like to play. Okay. But people eat deer. I get that. They're overpopulated in this state. I get that. <laughs> but we shouldn't become desensitized to, to, yeah. to shooting people. Right. And that's w- the way that over time your brain becomes wired with the devices based on the dopamine and uh, the, all the different hormones in your brain and how you react. And we're just getting our dopamine from inhumane places. Yeah. And we're seeking connection from the wrong way because our bodies will never feel good about that connection because we are built to connect with human beings. Mm-hmm. That's how our mirroring system is built. And the less we process things using our mirroring system with face-to-face contact, with eye-to-eye, um, you know, looking at each other and speaking to each other and listening for that voice modulation and and all the nonverbals, that we're going to lose who we are as humans if we keep going down that road where technology takes over. That's very interesting. It, it's like we we lose touch with reality because our brain starts to uh, connect with and only connect with the video game mm-hmm. or whatever's in front of us, mm-hmm. right? It becomes our reality. Yep. And uh, mindfulness can help us kind of back out of that. But, right. you know, we, we talk about children. Children start to become self-aware at about the age of two, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's somewhere around there they start to notice that uh, they can look in the mirror and notice that that's that's them in that mm-hmm. mirror, and over time they start to realize other facets about that as well. Is that that's always going to be them, and then they start to compare themselves to other people and so on and so forth. But I mean, so to me, that's where really consciousness really first starts to take hold, right? Because consciousness is being aware that you are something, right? right? So what age is it? What age is appropriate for you? What's the youngest age uh, where you can start to work with mindfulness? On, with kids, how, how quickly can you start to practice that with them after that? Um, well, you can start practicing breathing with a kid before they can talk. Yeah. <laughs> you you can model it, and kids will mimic and model do and do what you do. Mm. So, you know, you, you do things with your baby, and the baby does those things. Sure. It's the same thing with, be- like, belly breathing. You could lay on the floor, put a, put a toy on your belly, put, a, put your baby on their back, put a toy on their belly, and practice. Let them see they can push their belly up. So I would say, but to have conversation, like where you would have conversations about the brain, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Sure. Probably about three. Wow. <laughs> so pretty young. But I would definitely be teaching breathing as soon as I could teach a kid to mimic what I was doing. So mindfulness is kind of like peekaboo, mm-hmm. right? You play peekaboo with a kid and and they understand at, at, through the developmental um, stages, they start to understand that even when you put your face your behind your hands, that you're still back there. Right. You, you didn't just disappear off the Object face of the planet. Right. right. And so uh, it, it seems like mindfulness would start to be able to take hold around that time, right? Right. Because they, once again, it, it's about the awareness that there is something going on in here that I can actually focus on and, and notice. Well, and what's cool is if you if you taught a kid or a baby, you started out with a baby that breathing and you did it proactively, then over time their brain would be, that would sort of be the default mode of mm. what they would do. They're conditioned. They would be conditioned yeah. from a very young age. And how amazing would that be? So that's where teaching even pregnant moms, because they are, that being in utero has an effect on the brain and how it's wired. So if mom's stressed, I mean, it literally starts whenever the, the brain's one of the first things to develop. Mm. So um, the brain stem. Yeah. And so all that wiring for emotional hyper uh, responsiveness 
starts there. So if you can get moms self-regulated and then babies self, I mean, it just kind of go down the line. So So. you can't, of course, with like a three-year-old, you can't get extremely deep into mindfulness, but what, what kind of practices at that age and does it depend on like how developed a child actually is on what you can actually teach them at that age? You know, what, what kind of processes would you put into place at that age for like a three-year-old, let's okay. say? So like a three-year-old, probably I would start with that belly breathing, teaching them how to deep breathe because most people breathe shallow. And mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why we um, have more cortisol in our bodies because we don't um, do deep breathing. So teaching them that belly breathing, teaching them how to notice parts of their bodies, So that body awareness. So you can do that through a lot of games. You can do like a mirroring game where they do the same things as you. You can turn on music and have them move like the music. So if it's fast music, they move fast. Slow music, music, they move slow. Teaching them about their emotions and giving labels to that. That's a big one. So whenever your child is having an emotion, even if it's a good one or a bad one, doesn't matter in between, once in a while labeling that emotion like, oh man, I see that you're feeling bored right now. You look bored. And so that they can start to associate, okay, that's a feeling that I have and it's okay that I have it. And, and I, okay, now I have a label to go with it because as they have negative emotions, whenever you teach them at four and five, how they can then control those emotions with that breath. Um, but they have to have the label first. So teaching them what those emotions are. Um, another thing that you can do with really young kids is teaching them the spectrum of emotions. So there's something called the zones of regulation. Have you ever heard of that? I don't think Mm -hmm. I have. So zones of regulation is something they use in schools. And it's, um, it's really funny because if you ever saw inside out, the like, cartoon Pixar mm-hmm. movie. Um, they're kind of based on those guys. So there's um, there's the green. The green is you are regulated. You are able to learn. You're fine. Yellow is like, ooh, little caution there. Um, and then there's, um, there's blue, which means you're sad or down. And then there's red. You're like super hot. So it's a spectrum. I love that they put the blue, then the green, then the yellow. So because you can be below that green, you know, and I love that they put it that way. So kids learn then that that emotion, that bored emotion is still in green. It's okay. You're not, there's no, sometimes there's discomfort in, in bored. So you might be yellow, but you can learn that bored is actually, you're fine. There's no up or down. So teaching them on that spectrum, not only what that emotion is, but where it might lie on that spectrum so that they can start associating that with, oh, wait, bored is okay. I can deal with bored. And so that's why I put it in green. Some people would put it in yellow, but it's sometimes about where you put it. Mm. So nervous, I put in yellow. Some people would put it more in the in the red. And I'm like, no, no, nervous is something that you can breathe through. So red is when you need to take a break and stop and, whoa, I need to collect myself. There's a lot of things that should be in the yellow and green because we have taught kids that some emotions are bad that really aren't. Yeah. You know? Talk, talking about this, though, it occurs to me how easily it is to cause a, a child to be dysfunctional Yes, by your approach to that child. I'm, th- yes. I'm thinking, man, I probably already messed my kids up. Well, I, I messed had my this. first couple pretty good. You know, it's, it's a process. It I takes practice, right? I should have had this green-yellow talk a long time ago. But I did uh, have a really nice talk with my oldest daughter. So she's, I mean, we had a nice talk last night, so I guess she, we're still okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that practice kid, those practice kids are important. <laughs> but I, I guess like the emotions of like sad and angry and stuff like that too, it kind of, if they know that and it's labeled to them in their head, they they can like separate themselves from that 
to right. or learn to separate. That's like, I don't it. like this feeling. This mm-hmm. is sad. What can I do to, right. for that not to happen now? Exactly. Because mm-hmm. when you teach them the spectrum after, after a while, when they understand that, then you give them a strategy. When you're in red, then you want to have some time to yourself. You might want to punch a pillow. You might want to do the push-pull dangle or some other like strategy. There's some good hands-on ones. Sure. So, you, so you handle each part of those emotional things if you're not happy with where you are in a different way because they're actually in a different part of your brain. Mm. So the red, you are all in your amygdala. Your, your, your yellow, you could still be in your midbrain and sometimes be processing things up front. And green, you're all up front. Blue, you can be all in the amygdala also. It just depends on how low you are. Hypo-responsive can, it just depends. Sure. Yeah. So that's important too, because you don't just want to uh, bring attention to whatever the the mood is or or what the disposition is, but you also need to uh, supply the child with uh, positive redirection, right? You need to educate them on how to utilize this thing. behavior. Yes. Right. Right. And so another reason why it's probably so easy to cause a child dysfunction. Right. You know, how, how often do we just um, maybe even inadvertently, probably mostly inadvertently. Shame though, and blame. Shame and blame a child. <laughs> You're bored again? Well, go find something to do. What's right. your problem, right? right? Get out of my butt right now. Right. I'm trying to I'm trying to get the job done that I'm I'm doing at this point in time, whatever task that is. Right. And you're you know, on my leg trying to ask me what, what you should do. Uh, when, it, when you could easily have an onboard jar that you and your child sat down and made a list of things they like to do right. whenever they're in a better mood, and then they can go to that when they're in that not-so-good mood. So that's the strategy for that. Sure. But that's um, where the device comes in, right? It's where you just be like, here's a tablet. Go go play with this. How often, and then now yeah. they're associating that tablet with, I'm bored. This is what I should be doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and, that, and so then they get their dopamine from that. So the, yes. Mm-hmm. So teach your kids some bilateral drawing. Like, learn. T- how about you learn how to eat with your wrong hand? Like, there's things that you can do that are like, oh, I'm bored, but I could teach myself something cool. I'm actually ambidextrous because be I broke my arm. Me. It's fun, though. I can use te- chopsticks with I, my I left would, hand, and I am a right-handed person. There would be person. food all over the floor <laughs> and all over the table. But it's fun. <laughs> They wouldn't be bored. Not the cleanup wouldn't be fun. Well, that's where you have to teach them that too. I was going to say, there's cleanup regardless. It doesn't matter. Right. It's going to happen. Even if you're using your right hand. All the time. All the time. So so we're teaching children agency, right? We're Mm -hmm. teaching them to be self-sufficient, to be independent, to notice what's going on in them so that they can exhibit behaviors that are not just pro-social, but also that are productive for themselves, right? Right. So it seems like from a very young age that we are we are conditioning people in general to have free will. So let's go down this track for a minute, right? A minute? Okay. That's all it's going to take? Well, right. well, we'll see. We'll see. She might shut me down and we're, we'll move on to the I next topic. I have some thoughts about free will, so it's okay. It, it seems like and if you want to go into a even longer timeline, evolutionarily, it's, it seems like free will was something that humankind needed in order to really master the environment, in order to take control of whatever is in front of us. I need to exert my will over the environment, over the, the animal kingdom, over the, the trees so that I can cut you down and build me a house. Now I have this shelter that increases my survival rate by you know exponentially, right? So this, this thing called free will, it seems like it starts way back there for me. But also, by what you're saying, we're teaching children to take control of their self, right? Mm-hmm. Their, so their self, you know, and so that, that takes us down that, that rabbit hole. What is the problem with the notion of free will, or if there is one? Where, where, do, where, do you, where do you fall in line with this? Well, 
You guys don't even know. That's the funny thing. Um, so I was raised, um, my dad's side of the family was Catholic and my mom's side of the family was Pentecostal. Mm -hmm. So I have a big range when it comes to religion. And I guess I feel like religion definitely comes part whenever we talk about free will. Sure. Like, is there a grand design or are we making choices? So I, I guess I, I, I'm an agnostic okay. <laughs> because I believe in something, but I, I feel like there's a lot of people trying to explain what that is and who the hell are they to know anything. I mean, right. I feel like it's more of a question than an answer. Sure. So maybe I guess I fall a little more under Buddhist um, train of thought, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't say there's everything that they do that I would be aligned with. Right. So I believe in something bigger than myself. I don't have an explanation for that thing. Mm -hmm. But I also believe that not everything is planned out for us. I think that there's there is some will in there. I think there is some choice. There is there is uh it's not all just a plan because otherwise what are we doing? I mean, why do I even get up if it's just going to happen no matter what? I don't believe that. So I do believe that we have some impact on how things are. Um and I think that changes from day to day. I wonder like the butterfly effect where you know there's a butterfly and in a in in a one country and it causes a monsoon or like a hurricane right, or the whatever. flap of its wings yes. causes a ripple effect but but I do believe that those I mean if I look back just on my own life and think about this one choice that one day and how that might have changed a lot of things that one impact of my free will and man I wish I could have changed my free will thinking of that moment however that's what I did and so then it it changed the changed a lot of things down the road so yeah. You know, a few weeks ago, I jumped out of an airplane, and that was a last-minute decision. Like two days before that, I was my friend called me up, and she's like, "You want to go jump out of an airplane?" And I was like, "Yes, okay." I've I, it's something that's been on my bucket list, and she's a tandem instructor, and so I was supposed to do something else that weekend, and all of a sudden, my free will said, "I'm going to jump out of an airplane," and now I have a whole different lens of perspective from that one experience. Yeah. And so I wonder, I wonder how much influence we have the universe uh, or whatever you want to call it god uh, i call it the universe because i don't have that explanation and that's way further out than i'll ever go that it's got to have some impact on our free like on our choice our environment does and where we're placed i guess yeah because i believe that 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 design had me placed in the family that i grew up in and because i didn't have that choice that wasn't free will right that was some sort mm -hmm. of plan or design but then after that, when I was old enough to make choices, it feels like I had more impact on what happened than a design. So you're kind of alluding to my... Does that make sense? Yeah, you're kind of alluding <laughs> to the theory that I've been working on with free will, and that's that there is a Goldilocks zone. And we're in, like, to give you some perspective... Uh, the Earth is in the Goldilocks zone, and this is not this is not my term. This is you know what I what I've learned. I think in, in, actually in astronomy class, but uh, we're in a Goldilocks zone, meaning that we're close enough to the sun where we get the warmth and and things can grow and thrive, but we're not so far away where it's cold and everything's frozen. But we're not mm -hmm. so close we're getting burned up. Right? right, we're just in the right spot in, right. in the Goldilocks zone. And I believe there's a Goldilocks zone of free will. Right? I wasn't. I, I didn't have the choice. To of my parents to be born in America as a white male in, in, in to the family that I was born in in this state so on and so forth right had no choice right that's at the macro level at the micro level there are I am a, a system we are all systems process of 
trillions of cells and, and these things, these organs that are working, and I, I don't control those, right? Right. Um, I can kind of manipulate those and help those along with breathing and, and the way that I live my lifestyle through diet, nutrition, things like that. Mm-hmm. But there are all these things in my body that work and I have no absolutely no control over. You know, there there are uh, just cultures and, and things on me, on my skin, these things that are alive, these microbes. And we are all just walking around with the, this this universe of things on us that are actually little tiny living beings that, that makes the whole of us. Mm-hmm. So at the very micro level, I have no control over that whatsoever either. But, but something might. Just like if, you, if something's controlling you, why could, if that's the case, if that's what you believe in, if something's controlling you to make the decisions you're making and things like that, why can't something control the things that are in your environment? Well, because I, I don't think the argument is that something is controlling us. I think it's just that it is. Okay, <laughs> okay. I'm going to that. get to that. I'm going to get to that in a moment. You just lost me, but that's okay. That it yes, just I'm is. Not the only one. I, I'm getting there. You sound like my mom saying because I said so. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's kind of where we're going with it, but see, that's that's not my theory though. My my theory is that we have a, a this this zone where we actually what makes us a, an individual, a human being. Because I made the choice to get out of bed today. You know, I was tired. I could have chosen to sleep, but I I was excited when I got up to do these podcasts. I was excited to come over and have these discussions. Uh, I made that choice. You know, I made the choice to you know tie my shoes today or, or to start podcasting in the first place. At some point in time, I made decisions to have children, things like that. I I don't I can't think that we have absolutely no free will to do these things. But there are those um, in the scientific community who argue that we are just a series of processes. Okay, all we are, are biological responses. Okay, so our brains are built, and, and through evolution, we're built to. Uh, survive, right? And to perpetuate our species. Mm -hmm. And so that's all we do is we go around and we are just a slave to our brains, to the biological and physiological makeup that we are, right? So there's not anything controlling us as in predestination, as in the universe or God says, you know, you're going to do every little thing that you do today because I said so, because I'm controlling you like a marionette. Mm -hmm. It's rather that we are just a, a process that's ongoing. It's just chaos theory, basically. And so in a scientific community, that can make sense because there's no proof of anything else other than a brain. Like the mind itself is a construct. You can't see a mind. You can't open somebody's head and, and look at the mind, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you know it's there? Mm-hmm. Right? Right. So it just is. It is because we can measure it. Okay. How we so? We can measure the mind because we can do things like um, whenever we're measuring the mirroring system, which you, there's not even an organ you can see that... It does it. It's something that just does that okay. mimicking. Uh, do you know what the mirroring system is? Yes. Okay. So the for people who don't, sure. the mirroring system is um, why babies do what we do. Whenever mm-hmm. we smile at a baby, they smile back. Um, whenever you sit a certain way with an individual, um, they might change their position the same as you. When you smile at people on the street, generally speaking, if they have a normal mirroring system, they smile back unless you look scary. Right. So, <laughs> So that mirroring system is what what makes us have empathy, which is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, um, but that mirroring system also, you know, it's, be, we're becoming less and it's becoming less honed. That's the, that's the system that we see in kids with autism that is less functioning. That's what causes them not to have the ability to notice social cues. Um, so I don't know, whenever I think about that brain and whether our mind can be well so our mind can be measured in that way so we can measure the responses of somebody noticing something and how it 
how it happens in their brain with their hormones and the electrical impulses and where it happens. Mm -hmm. And then we can also show them, we can show them real things and, and pretend things of the same thing. And they will also, they will, they will, it will work the same way. So if they see a picture of their baby and they get to see their baby, they they respond the same way. So we can measure some things that happen in the brain that have to do with mind and memory. And there's no other way for that to to be without those processes. Mm -hmm. So I agree that we do have some processes in our brain that make our experience what it is. Because it's all the sensory input that's coming into us that our brain is jumbling around in there with all the things that it does that's making us even have a feeling about it. Because mm. you wouldn't have a feeling about a baby smiling at you. You wouldn't smile back if that wasn't a positive response that was built in your brain. So the baby, the baby smiles. Your thalamus says, oh, I see something. Your um, hippocampus and your, well, your amygdala then would say, oh, babies are cool. I like babies if you do. Um, <laughs> it's kind of my favorite thing hopefully, is a baby smiling. Hopefully you do. Because if <laughs> there's, not, there's, there's something wrong with you. There's lots of people out there that don't, though. Yeah, yeah, like they don't like to be touched. Same thing. I always find that to be a really interesting response because that's, we're made to touch each other. And so when you don't like to be touched, that sounds like a sensory processing issue and sure. that I'm concerned about you because we develop some of those connections to love touch and love each other and have empathy and mirror each other by touch. Right. So we need to be hugging each other and, and, and touching each Which other. That, so that could be a result of, of a traumatic experience too, right? Abs- Which absolutely. Is another rabbit hole, another it absolutely can, yeah. which is something that we can heal through sensory integration therapies and other kinds of therapies. So it's about, right. um, exposed, sometimes exposure, um, and learning how to, you know, take baby steps, just like baby steps of somebody learning how to fly in an airplane. You don't just stick them on an airplane and say, go ahead. Right. <laughs> you, you show them a picture of an airplane and say, right. imagine yourself on this airplane. Right. It's, it's right. a process. Right. Mm-hmm. So it is, I, I just feel like that we want to explain it. And there, that's where that agnostic person of my, you know, that's where I'm at is I can't explain everything with science. And that's why I believe in something greater. However, I believe that we were given that brain to explain something so that we could feel like, okay, we're not crazy. Uh, because I think otherwise, if we didn't have some explanations, we, it would bother us as a, as a people. Mm-hmm. Don't you hate the things that you don't really understand or know? Because you really want to know them. We were born with curious brains. But do you think? Do, do you think? <laughs> yeah. though, do you think though that that would be the reason why we project a free will if in fact it didn't exist? Because it's too uncomfortable for that concept to be reality. I can see that. I can see that because right. I think a lot of things that we can't explain become uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Even things we can explain can become uncomfortable. I I get to teach um, kids every year. This is my favorite thing. At the beginning of the year, we do geography. We teach about the equator. And then I tell kids that race doesn't exist. And that's when I have the explanation, the talk about that race is a construct of our, that we made this up and it's all about where you lived near the equator. It has nothing to do with who you are, what you are, anything. It's literally that your ancestors happen to live closer to this line so that they wouldn't get skin cancer and die. Yeah. And the wider people just lived north. I'm sorry. I'm a very hands-on talker. <laughs> but um, yeah. And so I love teaching that because it's a construct and I just blow their little minds first thing at, you know, social studies because that's what I like to do. Yeah. Um, and I get parent calls sometimes. They're like, now what did you tell them? And, and then I explain. They're like, oh, I really like that because yeah, it's true. Good. I don't want my kids, especially since I teach mostly 
children of color, like to think that they're lesser just because they have darker skin. Mm -hmm. Because even within the the African American community, there's a lot of racism about the level of uh, the darkness or lightness of your skin. And so we have that conversation second day. Isn't that something? (laughs) Even just, just by the appearance of things, how we calculate the the worth of a human being. Yes. You know, yes, that's, that's just incredible how we've gotten to that point over the course of history. Right. And how that even became a thing. Right. right? When it's just purely geography, purely geography of your, where your ancestors happen to live and it's nothing else. Right. That's crazy I mean, to me. It, it's still, <laughs> it still it happens with just local geography too, and this is kind of off the subject, but I'm not going to mention where I'm from <laughs> it, on the mic. But uh, that part of this little part of Missouri is, is still you, you you cross the county line like oh you're from that town oh okay that's like <laughs> <laughs> you you must be lesser of a person than what we are over on this side of the line oh, which is my. like five miles away right. right. So we FYI, just, you did mention where we were from earlier at the yeah. beginning when we were talking about the mines. I mentioned no. where where the mines were. I didn't say which town no, I was you from. Got a point. You have a point. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, I don't want to. It, it's not about me. I, I don't want to. You know, come across as degrading that town. I think that town is just fine. But um, at any rate, um, I have the free will to say that, right? Indeed. <laughs> um, I, I do agree that we are just a series of processes, though. I do. I react to whatever comes to me right now it's at this moment based off of something that happened to me in the past, right? Based right. off my experience. Right. And so even in the course of history, like we were talking about with the the perception of race, that, that started somewhere and it just became a process of how people processed their environment and the people in that environment, right? Right. So it, it's in that way, we are just, we're kind of slaves to our experience is another way that I like to think about things. And I would agree with that. As a, as a baby, you know, we have no experience yet other than in utero, and we don't have the conscious, uh, the, the awareness to process that and, and mm-hmm. to analyze that and think, wow, that was really freaky in there, and now I can finally breathe and eat on my own, right? We just don't have that yet. But over time, we start to develop that consciousness, and it begins like with the rough tests. You know, when you're when the baby looks in the mirror and you can smudge something on their nose, and they start to look at it, eventually they start to realize that there's something on their nose. At first, they try to wipe it off the mirror. Then they mm-hmm. try to wipe it off of themselves because they become aware that that is them, right? Mm-hmm. And so over that that time, they become slaves to their experience. We all do, right? So for instance, I touched a hot iron when I was a kid. I knew it was hot. I remember this happening. I was very young. I knew it was hot, but I knew that I was curious about it. I I knew that if I touched it, something would happen. So I touched the iron, (laughs) right? After that, I knew that if I touched the iron, and for full disclaimer, I touched it again. And (laughs) my mom's like, why did you touch it again? Because I knew better, right? I knew that it was hot. But that's that's the way that I've spent the rest of my life. Also sure. learning Give lessons. Give me a high five there because yeah, I right? had to do everything twice too. Yeah, okay, okay. <sighs> but uh, we we become slaves to our processes in, in, in a good way, in a functional way, right? Mm-hmm. We evolve as a human being because now I know that iron's hot. I yes. shouldn't touch it. Right. So I'm a so slave you built to that a, experience. You built a coping mechanism, that's and in cr- your brain, like ooh, that equals hot, so you don't touch. Right. That's mm-hmm. correct. But, okay. So if you're a slave to your experiences. So you did this because in the past this happened or whatever. If it's not a matter of free will, if then these things are happening in an order because this happened, now this is happening, this is happening, right? That's the argument. Right. So defend it. Well, <laughs> I don't... And, and I, I'm not saying one way or the other whether I believe either either way. I'm just I'm just curious because to me that's what it sounds like. It's like mm-hmm. this is a process and it's in order. This happened. This happened. This happened. And I, I believe that I'm, I'm brought to this this discussion and this way of thinking because of the hot iron incident when I was a kid. 
uh, because I did touch it twice. Because even though I'm a slave to that experience, I knew the iron was hot. I chose to touch it again, and I still can't to this day tell you why. I just wanted to make sure, I guess, right? Yeah. Just got to be sure. But the primal mind, my instinct, should have said, that's hot, stupid, don't touch it again, right? Right. But instead, I chose to step out and do that again. Can I ask you a question? Did you do it right away, or did you do it later? It was later, a a little bit later. Yeah. So I have an explanation of why. Okay. Okay, so whenever your brain um, has a memory... Um, at night when you sleep, it decides whether your memory needs to stay. If it's big enough, then mm-hmm. it keeps it. And if it's, you know, if it's right. impactful enough, your brain just decides to keep it. That's why one day you might eat something and the next day you're like, what did I eat yesterday? I know I ate something, yeah. but I can't remember. That's because your brain said, oh, they don't need that for tomorrow. We're going to prune it. Mm-hmm. So it it decides based on how emotionally attached you are or whether it goes with other information of mm-hmm. whether it prunes it at night. And so a week later, that experience wasn't as real to you. And you're like, wait a minute, I sort of remember, but I really want to touch that. Almost maybe like a you dream. had, Yeah, maybe you had more of the, ooh, I want to touch that and wonder what it is than the, than the memory of, oh, that freaking hurt <laughs> so what, what happens if if you touch it the first time and it's hot but then you go for that second time and it's not hot now now what does your brain do as far as do you go for a third time and you find might. out if it's hot again if, and then then you make the decision okay most of the time this thing's hot if you're <laughs> me you're definitely going for the third maybe even four <laughs> that would be confusing because you need to solidify it in your brain right that's right and if it was yeah if it's all at once then it probably would be even more impactful because you'd remember it because it was all together yeah right it's kind of like jumping out of that airplane you know mm-hmm. like I'll, i know i'm going to jump out of an airplane again but there's no way i'm going to forget the first time no way right because it was just so impactful yeah yeah, if you were to jump a hundred times, most of those you probably wouldn't remember. But I'm if you were to even that. even if you were to jump two times, three times, five times, you're you're gonna mm-hmm. remember every one of those because they were impactful in their own way, right? right. And so, just to clarify, do do we do all of our pr- our, our pruning? Pruning is that correct? Mm-hmm. Um, at uh, at night or most of it while we're asleep? Usually correct? while you're asleep, mm-hmm. yeah. while you're in that um, sort of in between consciousness state. Yeah. That's when your brain. That's when all sorts of processes happen in your brain that renew your body, your liver does things, all your all your digestive system. That's why it's not good to eat late at night because your body. That's when it's trying to sort of cleanse and do whatever it needs to do so that you're ready to go for the next day. Right. And that's why sleep is so important. It's not just about you feeling good, but it's literally the 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 biological processes that happen at night are important. Mm. And that's why we wake up feeling better. Right. <laughs> How long have you been practicing mindfulness? Um, let's see. Uh, five years now. Five years. Yeah. Do you notice because sleep is always a very uh, important subject for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dreams have always been very uh, impactful. We'll just leave it at that because mm-hmm. uh, that's a whole other conversation. But uh, have you noticed a, a big difference in your dream or in sleep in general since you've been practicing mindfulness, especially since your practice has become you know, what it is today, very polished and, and robust? <laughs> polished i'm still practicing that's why it's always a practice it's always a practice yes but thank you that's nice Mm -hmm. i like you told my practice is polished but um i think you know sleep is for me uh, 
during school, the, during the school year, it looks different than it does during the summer. During the summer, I get a lot more outside time. Mm. I get a lot more, you know, I go camping and I get out, I just am outside all the time. And so I sleep better in the summer. I find that because I have a little bit of sensory processing disorder during the school year, even with my practice, I have to practice a lot more and I practice with kids too and on my own. Mm -hmm. So about six times a day, sometimes seven is what I'm actually end up practicing. And I still feel like I can't sleep as well during the school year. And I really, I believe for myself, it's that connection to nature that I, I know for, I know we were all not built to live in these boxes all the time like we do. Um, and I especially spend a lot of time in industrial lighting, which bothers me to yes. no end. And just the feeling of the buildings that it's not, it's, it's okay, but it doesn't feel like outside, which is if I could just teach outside all day, that's what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think for me, uh, sleep is, I get about six hours a night. That's for me about right. Um, sometimes seven. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, it's an important part of what I do. Okay. Um, I don't, I, I try, unless I'm really stressed, I don't go too many. I don't, I don't shorten that very often. Interesting. I wonder because I have a lot of trouble with sleep. Mm -hmm. I have, uh, several sleep disorders and you know, I have trouble getting there sometimes. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Shutting the brain down mm -hmm. can be very difficult. That body scan is the savior for me. The body scanning? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, it's something that's occurred to me, though. Since practicing mindfulness, it, it, is a, it is a heightened sense of awareness of what's going on up there. And that could be a double-edged sword at, at some point in time, right? <laughs> it is. Because I tell people it's a blessing in. and a curse. Right. Because you're so aware. I'm so aware of my responses, and I'm now so aware of other people's responses that I, uh, that I, it's even harder to process some things because I'm just noticing more. I'm so noticing. And then I'm, I get more anxious sometimes about what I'm doing. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. There's a reason, <laughs> there's a reason why we're emotional beings. Yeah. There's a reason why that, that has worked for us over the, you know, the centuries, the millennia, whatever. Um, because that's, that's how as people surviving on planet earth, that has been functional. It's been productive. Yeah, that alarm system is there for a reason. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but I, I believe that, and this is this is my perception of the, of why we're evolving into a more mindful uh, being, is because everything's changing, mm -hmm. right? We 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 don't at this point in time in history we don't have to struggle so much just to survive. We have so many conveniences and things like that. We're going into a a period. Of, of more thought, of, of deep thought, as as a human race, just as as the beings that we are, we're becoming some more and more thoughtful. I'm sorry, some of us. Some well, yeah, okay, some of us, right? <laughs> I think overall, I think this is the the trajectory that we're all going I into. Hope so. I, I, I think so. <laughs> I think whether you like it or not, I think technology, even that that's going to be a big part of why we're not being more mindful is because we're integrating with technology. Also, a whole other conversation we could have, and, and the mm -hmm. pitfalls of technology and, and artificial intelligence, things like that. But um, I, I think that as just as a people, we don't have to even over the past several hundred years, we don't have to struggle so much to survive because of medicine, because of nutrition, because of you know adequate shelter. You name it. All the reasons why we are so we, we have the benefit of being lazy today that we can put more you know effort into thought in bigger numbers mm -hmm. you know as opposed to just a, a small number of philosophers that are walking the earth today anybody can be a philosopher if they put their mind to it nowadays because you have the convenience of that right yeah and, and so I think that it's a transformation of the human race altogether and that we can be uh, we, we have the convenience of being mindful because of because of that transformation. I forget why I started this conversation. That's one thing I need to be more mindful of is where I'm going with the topic when I start. Um, so, you, so you don't think that 
back when we were having to kill our, you know, kill our own food and things like that, that we, you were saying that we had to be more aware then? We, yes. I mean, no, no, not more, you're, not you're more, opposite. not more mindful. We had to be just, just in, in fight or flight all the time, basically. Really? See, I totally, I believe the opposite. Really? Um, I think in order for us to have gotten where we are, we had to be using this part of our brain, not just about survival, but we had to learn. We had to pay attention. We had to notice habits of animals. And that took planning. Mm. That doesn't happen in fight or flight mode. That happens in, ooh, I'm just going to sit here by the side of this river and I'm going to watch this animal. I'm going to figure him out. Okay. Same thing with fishing. Like we didn't, I mean, who decided we could... We could put a you know worm on a hook and throw it in the water and, and catch a fish. Right, so that's where I was kind of confused. Like I was almost thinking everything was flipped the other direction because now, yeah, I see where you're talking about like laziness and stuff can gives us the advantage to where we can be more mindful, but I don't know that we are mm. be, because we don't have to be because we're not present because, in the because moment. Because that fight or flight thing or that uh. You know, we don't have to be out there fighting for killing right. our own food and things like that. We don't have to be mindful like that anymore. Right. And I, I was generalizing, grossly generalizing as well. I guess what I'm thinking of is is survival. The, the fact that we don't have to strive to survive gives us the opportunity to have conversations like this. If not, I would be out there trying to figure out how to put that thing that's swimming out there in the water down at the lake here how I could get a string and put that thing, because it looks tasty, right? I want to eat that thing. You know, I don't know how I'm going to get to it, but I have to be creative and find a way to do that. Right. But even, I mean, we find art on caves, right, from thousands of years ago. Obviously, they were they were being creative. There was something that, this the, the front part of the brain was developing all this time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe that, just like with anything, that it was a, it was a process of, of development that which has brought us here today. So obviously, there must have been a, a lot of development to have to take place from there to here, right? You, right? Yeah. No, I agree with that. So. <laughs> I, I but I still believe that they had to be pre- that they were probably more present minded than we are mm. because they didn't have a calendar. They didn't have the ability to worry about tomorrow. They just worried about right now. Yeah. What do we need for today? I mean, some of that was yes, survival, but some of that's very mindful living that we could certainly use today mm-hmm. um, and mimic if we think about how much that we have anxiety because we're worried about the future. Most of the time, when you're depressed, you're worried about the past. Most of the time, when you're anxious, you're worried about the future sure um and so we we're an anxious anxious society because we're always worried about you know not just today we we have such a hard time present being present right now we we know when we're with people we check our phones and we do our thing and and i just feel like that that's that's so not mindful so you're telling me that the caveman didn't really worry too much about how his his bearskin loincloth was going to look around the fire a week from now at the big gathering right so so. (laughs) he didn't have yeah it it makes a lot of sense so in this in this process though where did the and well first of all let's start out what's your definition of the self do you believe in the self and the reason i'm asking these questions just in case somebody it doesn't hasn't been involved in these conversations before is because through mindfulness practice a lot of of the the I guess the front runners, the, the loudest people out there in society today that, that I come across, they deny that there is a self, that there is a pilot behind, like behind the eyes, so to speak, that is controlling that that, that there's a self that I'm that's that's controlling my movements every day, which also mm-hmm. ties into free will. Mm-hmm. And they discovered this through mindfulness practice. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna with for full disclaimer, full disclosure rather, I am uh, I don't believe it. 
through mindfulness, it seems to me like, now I'm not saying that the self is what, I guess their definition of the self is the, the way they're trying to frame it. But for me, it ties back into free will. If, if not for free will, then who's doing what? And, and who is the observer in the first place if there is no me, mm-hmm. no self? Who is, who is that person that is, that is aware of these processes that, that I can step back, be mindful of, and, and observe, right? Mm-hmm. So what, what is your thoughts on the self? Well, I think, wow. Um, I, I think it still kind of goes back to that. I believe that we're partially divine and partially something we can explain. I mean, we always want to explain things that we don't really understand. And I think this falls for me in that realm of, yes, I know I'm the person making my choices, but how did I get here to begin with? Mm. And how did I get built the way I'm built? to be the person that I am today. So part of that was not about free will. That was about biological things that somewhat I had process, I had the ability, but genetics, you know, uh, an epigenetics. So I guess the more we know about that, the more we can say there's less divine parts of us. But when we die, I certainly believe that there's a, there's a spirit of us that goes somewhere and does something um, because, you know, when I go to Rocky Mountain National Park and I put my mom's ashes there, I feel her. Mm. And I don't believe that that's, uh, maybe that's in my mind. Maybe that's part of my conscious need to feel that. Right. Okay. But I'd rather side with the, I can feel her because she's there. Mm. Um, so I believe that I'm the one making the choices, but I do believe that there's a lot of things that divinely put us where we are. And there's a reason for that. So you've never come to a state during your mindfulness practice where you can see the the dissolving of the self? No. Okay. I know people that have said that mm-hmm. they have had that experience, but for me, I don't step outside of my body or anything like that. I really just feel um, it's more of a, for me, it's more of just that feeling of self-regulatedness that I, that's that peace that I feel that connectedness to something bigger than myself sometimes. And I don't need to explain it Mm. to feel it. And I don't, can you explain what you mean by that dissolving of the self? Roughly because I haven't experienced it either, but there is a a dissolving of the self, the, the, the realization for a lot of people. And this is heavily in the scientific community, but also the Buddhist community as well. It, it basically comes, it derives from Buddhist philosophy that there is really no self. It's just, there is an observer, but it's just that you're able to kind of step back and observe just the, just the processes of the mind, that we are just a conscious stream. The consciousness is just a stream, and you're able to witness it, but really you, you realize that you don't have any control over it. And so to think that there's a self behind there that's, that's you know, metaphorically pushing the buttons and pulling the levers and controlling ourselves so is like actually an illusion. S- so literally like controlling what you do, controlling what you say, those kinds of things, or no? Yes. So I ask that because in this, I don't know if this really ties or not, but I know people, like you, you hear the people say they see red when they get mad mm-hmm. and they can't control what they do in that moment or what they say in that moment. And I, I you know, I know people like that, but I also know people who... Uh, when they get mad, they can literally sit there and talk to themselves and tell themselves, you know, there, there's no reason to be mad in this situation. But as they're telling themselves that what they're saying is not what they really want to be saying, but it, it's just making the situation worse. You know what I mean? Sure. Mm-hmm. So it's like something's 
pushing those words out of their mouth, even though they're sitting there trying to tell themselves that this is fine, it's not that big of a deal, that kind of thing. Sure. So that's why I'm curious if that ties into into that. Like they're not controlling what the action that's happening or what they're actually saying in that moment. Their amygdala is subconsciously controlling it. That's what's why. And and since you're not using your prefrontal cortex, whatever's going to come out isn't processed through thought, compassion, empathy. There's no there's no filters on it. So it is sometimes the worst possible thing, or sometimes it's an I'm sorry, an immediate. That's where some people have that appease, um, which is a function of fight or flight as well. Mm. Um, and they just say I'm sorry. We have a lot of adults in our society notice that say I'm sorry immediately, uh-huh. even when there's not really a rational reason to be I'm sorry, or right. they're saying I'm sorry for something that happened to me. Right. That's not really. I mean, it it's nice. But it's not really appropriate. You don't really have to say sorry for everything. It's like Canadians, yeah. right? No Canadians yeah. Do that. And usually sorry. that's a conditioned so <laughs> response. Yes, but, right. But yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. I wonder. I wonder. Well, okay. So a scientific explanation for that would be that for empathy and compassion, for instance, mm-hmm. is that that is a, a um, it's a conditioned response from the biological brain. Mm-hmm. It's an evolutionary response in order for people to work together for the sake of survival because everything that we have is for the sake of survival everything that we that we might consider as and once again this is you know this is not necessarily the way that i believe this is just the argument that's i'm dealing with and i'm Mm -hmm. trying to find a good way and i needed you you know you all's help to kind of unwind some of this argument and be able to make sense of it a lot of responsibility right now you do a lot of my shoulders (laughs) this is all this is all on you guys so okay um the, the fact that these are conditioned evolutionary responses for cooperation in in the grand scheme of survival for us to perpetuate the, the human race and that everything according to these philosophies is is an accident the the universe being created in the first place was an accident so then therefore everything after that has to go into the framing of being accidental it, just in the sense that um, it, it, I guess to the extent that it perpetuates survival, perpetuates the species. And so after that it's replicated because once again we are um, just we are a slave to the processes. We're a slave to the experiences that we've had and not just our experiences but the experiences of our ancestors, right? Mm-hmm. And this is all through survival. And so things like compassion, empathy, um, we use those saying I'm sorry, right? It's not just a matter of, free will is a matter of to some degree survival Mm -hmm. social survivability is huge too because especially in our history working in groups maybe i don't know if especially in history is the right way to put it but the human race survived in large part and thrived because people decided to group together and form communities right because their safety in numbers right? right And that's one of the reasons why we have tribalism even yet today. Right. That's why things like racial differences and inequalities come up because we we get together in group, groups and tribes and we go team, right? We're all mm-hmm. on teams because that was a survival instinct for us. The more, the bigger our group, the less chance that either the saber-toothed tiger or the big bear or that another group was going to come and kill us. Mm-hmm. So now we, we need to grow our group bigger because we're going to be the, the baddest dudes on the planet, right? And we build invisible walls yes. between ourselves right. so we have to be different. We have to just, we have to figure out how we can disassociate ourselves from that other group, even though we might look the same. Right. So what can we do? What, how are they different? How are we better? Um, we still do that. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Right. But, but what's but, interesting about that, that, that the reason why tribalism happened is also part of that biases that happens from the mirroring, the mirroring system. Mm. So that mirroring system, because we knew that, oh wait, we can take care of each other. And, and that, that came from that. 
Um, and there's only a few there's only a few animals on the planet that have that system. Um, that's what's really interesting. It's what keeps most animals. If you had um, a lion and another lion, hang, you know, coming up on each other, they would try to kill each other. So why that's why humans can sit so close to each other and literally not kill each other because we should, as animals, and even though we're way evolved, yes, but as animals, when we don't know something, that should immediately be a threat of mm -hmm. another person. Right. But we have this system in our brain that's installed there just to keep us from doing that. So w once again, playing devil's advocate here, is that just what simply separates us from the lions? Or is that a product of our free will, this, this divine mm -hmm. spark that we have within us? Or is it just a biological process happened by accident, but it's why we survived and thrived and evolved above the lion? I don't know. Right? That's the I know, question. I know there's hand. only, like, dolphins did it. There's only a few other, the other mammals that have that mirroring system. And it's, mm -hmm. that's, I, has been so interesting to me the last six months or so. I've been doing a lot of research on that because I can't believe how much mirroring has to do with our social interactions and our communication. So the way that we, the way that our nonverbals come across mm. is the message sometimes. It doesn't even matter the words coming out of our, out of our mouth. People have decided and judged you from the moment they see you and not even before you even get a word out. Right. And that's based on that mirroring and modeling. We've made all these um, connections and then that creates our bias. That mirroring system is why we have bias, what, what decides whether you're safe or you're not. Mm. And that's conditioning too. Yeah. But it's crazy. Right. So free will, huh. what is it? Is it, a, is it a construct to make us feel better about ourselves? Or is it something that we actually have to, uh, to set us apart, individuality, even, even from different species and, and from each other? What do you think, Colt? I, I, I kind of agree with I think it's something that has been made to make us feel more comfortable about being able to control everything in life like that there's not something controlling us i that's that, honestly that's that's what i think it is mm -hmm. and just like anything it you know pe people whether it be a tribe of people or whatever came up with that and then it just kept on rolling down the hill and now more people and more people and more people attached to it because it is kind of an uncomfortable feeling to be to think that no matter what I say right now, what I do right now, I'm not choosing to do that. It's something else is coming through me to do, to make me do that. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it goes back to that Goldilocks zone as well of free will. We're on this big blue rock, hurtling through a, an imaginably huge universe. Right? We have no control over any of that whatsoever. So do we just imagine free will to make ourselves feel better or do we are we given that little bit of control in order to manifest our own destinies in this expansive universe as the thunder rolls behind me I to don't. give effect, right? Right. Like couldn't plan that better. <laughs> right. <laughs> um I really think that we have I think we have been given through that through that universal design of whatever we don't understand. And mm -hmm. I can't, don't have an explanation. That's again, why I'm agnostic, Sure, but I do believe in it. I think we've been given some level of free will to make choices to evolve, um, and to, and to create some sort of life. And, and I believe that some of those choices lead us to people and experiences that we might not have not ever had uh, as a result. And I think that's part of the bigger plan of growth. 
for us. I don't think that the universe knows every little thing that I'm going to do, but I think it knows where I'm going in a bigger sense, where I'm evolving to. Now, how I make those choices, I think sometimes changes that and maybe delays that plan a little bit. But I do believe that there's that there's a reason that I'm here and there's a purpose for my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that that gives me a lot of peace also. And I think that's why people navigate towards a religion or or a religious practice because they want that sense of that there's something bigger than me taking care of things or that there's a reason why I just showed up here. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think whatever that is that gives you that sense of, I'm connected to something greater than myself. Mm-hmm. I think that's I'm all for it. Yeah, or makes um, you a better person in general. Absolutely, that, that's that's one thing that, like to me, regardless if you're religious or not, if you if you're not and you knock on somebody for being religious, but that person is a better person to everybody around them and everything else because of that religion, there you know that what's what's the harm in that? Yeah. Right. That's one of the biggest arguments for religion, even by the atheistic community right now, is the utility of the religion. Mm-hmm. Now, there are a lot of negative you know, components or negative religions altogether, maybe. Uh, and, and people use religion, obviously, for nefarious purposes, right? And they get off track, and they use it to condemn others, to judge others, to separate, to divide, uh, and sometimes to kill other mm-hmm. people. Yeah. But there, are, there's a lot of utility, like what you're discussing, that religion helps people to, to be a better person mm-hmm. all around. And be connected. I think when we are connected, we are better people. Yes. Because that's when we feel empathy and compassion and love and, and gratitude. Those things happen more when you're connected with other human beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess the other side of that, though, is like it opens up a barrier for people to be judgmental on other people because, like, so... If I'm not religious, but you are, and you display that you're religious, yet you do or say something that is out of line with that, now I can now it, the judgment's passed from me to you. Yeah, now you're a hypocrite. Yeah, even though most of the time you might think that religion is making you a better person, but you did or said one thing that wasn't in line with that, now, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's where I, I fall in line with a little more of the Buddhism, I think, because I do try, I really try to assume positive intention from people. Like, I'm not going to assume that if even if I saw and I know you're, you know, this religion and you did this thing, I'm going to assume that there was a reason and, hell, it's not really my business, but also I'm going to assume that whatever you're doing, you're doing for the best for yourself. Yeah. Unless I see you hurting someone, then I'm probably going to say something. But <laughs> otherwise, I, I'm going to assume positive intention and, and try really hard. I try really hard to practice non-judgment because who am I to judge anyone? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm just a messed up human being like anybody else. I have no reason. Like even my, my, my daughter got married a few months ago and, and her dad got really upset about it because she was afraid to get married. And so she got married and didn't tell anybody and that was fine, whatever. She was worried about it. And he got so mad, just like she thought. And I, you know, for me, I just am so happy that she's happy that I could care less whether there was a ceremony or a big, and that's my first kid. So of course I would have liked Mm -hmm. to do all that, but I want my kids to find a human being that prizes them for the miracle that they are. Mm -hmm. And if beyond that, I don't really care about all the other stuff. And so, yeah, so it's over and over just trying every day to wake up and, and not judge people 
and not for the religious purpose. Like I know there's lots of scripture. I've read the Bible many times, lots of scripture about not judging people, but I just feel like that it makes me feel better not to compare myself by judging others. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't really help them for me to tell them a judgment. It also, but it, it it puts a comparison in my mind of whether I'm better or not better based on what I see, and I don't want to compare myself to other people. Yeah, has that, mind has mindfulness helped you in that? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Can you explain that a little bit? How that's helped you to be non-judgmental? Well, I mean, I I'm it's a practice. So I tell people I'm I'm very humbly I have judgment, and, and I and, and it's oftentimes I just don't say it. I think it, and then I'm like, wow, I shouldn't be thinking that. That's not very fair. Um, I need to assume positive intention. But, you know, I have days. Especially, it's more in the car. That's my, always the thing I'm working on when I'm in, you know, trying to leave Hollywood uh, Amphitheater. <laughs> I'm like, can't you drive in the lights? That's but, a terrible place to get out of. It's, but, uh, it's better this year. They have, they have put, um, they've got a plan. And there's only certain directions you can go. It only took them 20 years. Well, but. you know, <laughs> we are Missouri. Anyway, there goes me being judgmental of Hollywood. There, you know. uh, right. Anyway. See, and I assume positive intention that I'm happy that they finally figured it out. Sure. So happy. So um, I think, uh, like, say again what you wanted me to say, because now how I just has, totally I, went blank. That's what happened to me earlier. How yeah. is mindfulness helped you to not be so judgmental of other people, basically. Well, that awareness, just the awareness, like the awareness of, wait a minute, I'm judging. Mm -hmm. I used to just have the bias in my brain and that's what spilled out on everybody else with my nonverbals, with my, with my speech, with how I treated people. And then now it's, wait, I, would I want that to be done to me? I, that's what I try to like, Ooh, I feel that feeling about them. And I notice that. And wow, where does that come from? I often ask that. I'm like, instead of trying to put it on them, why am I, why am I judging that person for that? What does it matter? What, what, why do I have that hang up? Like whenever I was younger, my mom, I grew up, um, and she was one of those people where you made sure that your clothes covered everything. And, and I still am that kind of train of thought person. And my daughters mostly follow that too, which it's a little bit different time, but still yet everything's covered. I don't, you know, my daughter would never, my 17 year old would never leave the house with shorts with like the pockets that are lower than the shorts. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Thank God. (laughs) But, um, but I think over time, like, uh, I've, I've, I grew up thinking like when I would see girls like that and I would be like, wow, their mom didn't teach them anything about like, you know, um, modesty. Right. Because that was such a big deal to my mom. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's something that I've especially as a woman judging other women, we are really harsh on each other. And I think I learned a lot of judgment from my mom. But, um, but noticing like instead of I try to flip it. So whenever I notice that feeling of judgment coming up, instead of like saying, wow, those shorts are too short, I'd be like, oh, I really like your hair. Like I'm like, okay, I'm not going to focus on that thing that I feel judgment about, but I can always say something positive to anyone. Mm. And then that sort of flips that around in my head. And then maybe the next time I see that person, if they're wearing the same thing or whatever, I won't even notice because I've decided that that's not going to be my focus. Right. Yeah, I think that's important. One of the things that comes to my mind is when you start to become mindful, you start to practice mindfulness, and you practice non-judgmental mindfulness, you start with yourself, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's what it's all about, is we don't understand that a lot of times we're actually judging ourselves 
projected out to everyone else, right. the rest of the world, right? right? And maybe that's because of how it was instilled when you were growing up or when mm-hmm. I was growing up. Because I know that the way that I was raised, so, somewhat like you, except it was all Pentecostal, right? It was all yep. in, in that vein. I grew my hair long. I wore dresses for like a couple years where that we didn't, right? I wasn't allowed to wear pants. But, it, you know, and it was kind of a given um, that if a woman dresses uh, scantily clad, if she dresses in a provocative way and a guy looks at her, it's the woman's fault, right? The guy, he couldn't help it, right? He, he was just a dude. And so it was very alpha cent- uh, uh, alpha male, mm-hmm. male-centric. And uh, I think it's both. I'm just going to go on record I, I, Right. I, th- I think we're all personally responsible <laughs> yeah. for, for yeah. what we do, right? And it wasn't that, it, it wasn't that my, my parents or, or that religion meant to do that, I feel like. I, I don't blame them for that. I think it was just their way of trying to get women to cover up their, their boobs and their sure. butts, right? I, right I, th- I think it's harder now because, like you said, it's a different time now. So mm-hmm. like now we're in a time where everybody wants to be who they want to be mm-hmm. right right now. And mm-hmm. you shouldn't judge that. You should just let them be who they want to be when they want to be it Yeah, kind of thing, whether that's one thing today and one thing tomorrow. You know, it might, might change. Depends on how, who you want to be. Right. But Exactly. <laughs> but now it's the time before that, the generation before that, of course, is judging that hardcore. Whether they want to or not, they're judging that hardcore because it's a different time now. Mm-hmm. And that's not how we used to do it. That's not no. how things used to we be. We were conformity. Right. We grew up in, that's yes. what we were supposed to do is right. find a way to conform and fit in. Right. Yeah. And now we're, but, but now <laughs> you've got that on top of the people now who are just like, I'm just a normal person. And, but that are also judging all those people who just, I just want to be me, let mm-hmm. me be me type of thing. And now I'm going to build a group of me people are just like me right now and we're going to march in the streets and everything else, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So it's, it's an interesting time to, right now. To me, it's like a pendulum swing. It happens in politics a lot. You know, you had the George Bush era, which led over to the Barack Obama era. Then you had the Barack Obama era. And now we've led into the Donald Trump era. And which, uh, which swing is that? I just, <laughs> I, 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 I want to know I where it's somebody turned the clock upside down. <laughs> Did they just rip the pendulum off? Yeah. I they, mean, they they're just, just going to throw it away. We don't went, need a pendulum anymore. They threw it down, off a cliff. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I, I think it's it's reactionary, you know. And so I think because of the conformity mm-hmm. generation that we grew up in is why it's you're almost um, it, nonconformity is almost the conformity culture now. Yes. It's like if if you don't conform to nonconformity, then you're a weirdo in a right. sense, right? In today's culture, and in, in large part, um, it's, that's once again a pretty it's a generalization, but it just seems like if you're not far out there. I don't even want to classify anything. I don't want to, you know, type, You're not different type or anything, unique. But, right, yeah. I see it in my kids' right. high school. Like, it's not okay to just be your average kid. You have to be, like, special in some way. You have yeah. a disorder. You're, you're, you're bisexual. You, uh, you know, have, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a lot of different things that you can choose from. Sure. But it's getting more and more where you can't just be just an average kid, you know, the wallflower yeah. type or yeah. even yeah, like... You, you kind of have to, like, choose to be that same way. Or you have to kind of dissociate yourself from those people. Mm-hmm. And then what do you, you're either alone or you mm-hmm. find other people who are dissociating themselves from that group also. And now that's where your tribe, that tribe mentality thing comes mm-hmm. in again. And Like face tattoos. Like when did that become normal and okay? 
I mean, I'm not Rap- judging rappers. anybody. I, rappers did that. I that's think. true. But I, I Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. Yeah, yeah he was. Yeah, I mean, gotta, I mean, he, he made it very. That's the first person that I'm like, whoa! I know that person, and they have a face tattoo. You know and what I mean? He's a badass, and, and he like, is a badass. Yes, I'm going to judge him, him but it's going to be up here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. You don't make me angry one way or the other if you have a face tattoo. But I just looked up one day and was like, there are a lot of people who have facial tattoos now, and that used to be that would have been like when Mike Tyson got his. I thought that was like that was just absolutely insane. Who yeah. does that? Well, colored hair. Like, just go into your average high school. Like, would that have been cool when we were in high school? No. No, you would have been totally a freak. And Mm -hmm. now, you know, we got pink, purple, green, orange, yellow, gray. Mm -hmm. Kids tying their hair gray. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like a silver color. Yeah. <laughs> even, red, even, but... even when I was in school, and it wasn't that long ago, but even when I was in school, you were either, your hair was your normal color or uh-huh. dyed black because you were goth. That was like literally <laughs> the, the, the farthest <laughs> out that you got. Yeah. I don't know. And in piercings too, it's like we run out of things to pierce. I remember yeah. when I first saw Tupac Shakur, he had the nose ring. Right. And I was, I was looking at that, I was like, what is what that? What happens when you blow your nose? Like, yeah. I remember thinking right. that when I saw a nose ring. Now right. they're piercing their cheeks and everything else. And they're Have you like, seen that? And yeah. there's ones oh, yeah. where they put, like, like different kinds of chains and threads through. Like, they'll have multiple holes and they'll put, like, and the industrials. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and I just say, ouch, when I see it. But yeah. I'm like, they hey, whatever. Ball bearings under their right. skin <laughs> and horns. And right. Yeah, I saw the unicorn horn one. Yeah. That's cr- Don't tell my daughter that. She loves unicorns. <laughs> Well, just get her the headband, and she'll be happy for a long time. She, she, she Give her replacement one. behavior now. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what, what's happening. I, I do believe it's the pendulum swing, though, and, and I guess that's one of the reasons why I hope, because I believe that's all coming stemming from judgmentalness, yeah. one way or the other, right? Totally. You're either being judged because you're you're conformist or because you're not, mm-hmm. right? And, and so we are so reactionary as people that we continue to... I wonder what's going to be next as far as being different. I mean, how far can we really take this thing as a society? Uh, or is the pendulum going to swing? I doubt it's going to swing back to the olden days, right? The traditional conservative value type yeah. of days. I don't think we're going back there. I think we're too far right? away from it. I think it we're too to far away to, from it. And I was just yeah. talking to somebody the other day because I was totally born, born in the wrong era. Like, I loved staying home with my kids. And I loved being a one-income family when my kids were younger, but when I was married. And I, I feel like that made things so much better for all of them. And I wish we could just go back to that, the one-income family where somebody, I don't care who it is, if the guy wants to stay home, I'm down for whatever. Sure. So that's how we could have evolved. Why, but why, I th- why do you why do you think that was better? Just because of the connection? I think the family, that or? I think yes. I think kids being raised by their parents and mm-hmm. spending more time in their home where their values can be instilled instead of going to a daycare or all these other things and getting influenced by all these other adults and then learning coping skills based on all this myriad of different kinds of rules and expectations. Whereas if we really want kids to be solid, consistency is key, and we know that. How dare you? How dare you speak of traditional values like that? I know, and I'm I'm totally very liberal, but when it comes to things like this, like Mm -hmm. I know what works, and we know what works with early childhood. We know kids' brains, and kids' brains develop better when they're with their parents. Mm -hmm. With a parent, I don't care which one. Yeah, (laughs) I told my wife when we first got married, like if you want to continue career and go out and do your thing, I, I will gladly help, you know, just stay at home, and raise the kids mm-hmm. because I, I'm the same way. I think someone has to be there. You ha- you need that, that, that stable somebody there, you yep. know, not, not that you have to, there's plenty of, of functional families who have two, two, you know, but I think it's parents, better. but 
I, I agree. I just think it's better. And I think we're losing that connection of family. And then we feel displaced as a young adults and not, we're looking for more connection. And sometimes it's because we didn't get enough connection and family. Mm-hmm. That has to be that unconditional love has to be felt in order for you to, to survive this life. Yeah. I mean, otherwise you're going to have to find another tribe. And that, uh, you know, as a young adult, and sometimes that's where people get off track. Sure, absolutely. If you're not, if you're not solid in, not that we're necessarily advocating tribalism as it's, you know, talked about in 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 the negative sense, but if you're not solid in in the foundation that you have in your quote unquote tribe, then you're going to you're going to get sucked sucked in sucked in somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to find a tribe whether you like it or not, right? Because that's we as human beings we gravitate toward people who we can feel that connectedness with, right? Who we can feel that safety with, because there are there is a a safety in numbers component of being a person, right? Mm -hmm. Very few, even though a lot of people they they, you know we do have loners and things like that out there, but very very few people are actually loners. The people that are usually dysfunctional. Right. No offense out there, loners who are well, listening. Well, no, but the attachment theory is there for a reason. When yes. you understand attachment, we all need it. Right. We all there's a reason why there's a chemical in our brain that is released whenever we touch each other. Right. Um. And and that builds a connection every time. So yeah, we need it. Yeah. And as a, as an infant, if you don't have that connectivity to your caregiver, mm-hmm. then you oftentimes have mental health issues yep. because that it starts at that you know that age. It's, mm-hmm. That's when it's the most important actually. It is for your future, but on through childhood and adolescence, you need that connectivity or else you start to have dysfunction. Right. And that's where the solid family unit comes in. Right. But And also getting off the phone because moms need to look, moms and dads need to look at their kids in the face. Yes. We, we got to stop being distracted from our kids. And that's one of the things that's causing so many problems is not just the kids being on a device, but parents being distracted by a device and not giving kids enough attention. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I saw a great quote. It, it was probably a meme I'm talking about looking at devices, right? But anyway, <laughs> it was probably a meme. It's I love a good <laughs> meme. I, I understand. That's what it's all about for me. Yeah. I'm all about promoting the podcast and memes. That's the only reason I'm on social media. But... Um, it, it says something along the lines of kids don't do what you tell them to do. They do what they see you do. Exactly. Right? And it's so true. I, I was I was doing something on the computer the other day at the table, and I was going to do something with my daughter, and I was telling her to go get ready. Go get ready. Well, she was hovering over my shoulder the entire time. <laughs> dad this, dad that, yada, yada. I was like, why aren't you going to get ready? Well, finally, I just I, I wasn't going to get anything accomplished on the computer, right. so I shut it down, got up. As soon as I got up and started getting ready, guess what she did? She got ready. She got ready. She wasn't going to do what I told her to do. She was going to do what I was doing. That's your mirroring system right, right? there. Exactly. <laughs> and as parents, we've got to remember that because yep. if you are constantly looking at your device, what do you think your kids are going to be doing? They're going to right. be constantly looking at their device. They're going to see that as their go-to, as their primary coping mechanism for sure, but just the, the way to pass the day. And that's where they're right. going to get their education. That's where they're going to get their socialization. That's why babies like phones already. Right, yeah. They, like, you know, 25 years ago, if you would have handed a baby a phone, they might have laid it back down. Um, and now, because kids are so used to seeing a, it in the face of an adult, they want it too. Mm-hmm. And somehow they pick it up and know how to use it. Well, because it's they crazy, watch you do it. Right? Yeah. But they like they know. They, I know, they know better than... Yeah, it, it amazed me, and you know, I have a ten and a seven year old. It amazed me with both of them how easily and quickly they just picked up technology. Yep. It, it was insane. It's like I, I don't even remember showing them how to do anything, but they just picked it up and started going to town. Just, it's like it's it amazing was, what what modeling does, mm-hmm. and it's so strong. And that's why it's so important to to not just say things. 
but to do them. Like my kids grew up reading books because I read them books, but they also saw me in my leisure time reading books. I read. I still read. I love to read. Yeah. And so my kids still love to read, all of my kids. And there's lots of people who never pick up a book as an adult and then they wonder why their kids are struggling in reading. Like I have talks with parents all the time, like their kids are low in reading. Well, how much do you guys read at home? Well, you know, I tell them to read for 15 minutes every day. Well, do you read with them? Well, they're, you know, in fourth grade. No, we don't read stories anymore. Well, that's when it's most important because you're trying to teach your kid that this is a lifelong habit, not just a come to school and read. <laughs> something you have to do, right? You it's do. Something that's it. But you don't want them to think that it's some. It's a chore. You want them to. Yeah. This is something that you should do because it expands it's a healthy your mind. Es- it's a healthy escape as well. Yes, so right. we want kids to have healthy escapes versus you know down the road going to drugs and alcohol or something like that where they're looking for an escape. Well, mm-hmm. hell, I give you a book and you can take a break from reality for a little while and then come back when you're refreshed. Yeah. I need that sometimes. Absolutely. Although I read nonfiction, I don't know how refreshed I am. <laughs> Same here. I'm not yeah. a big fiction reader. I like to learn something. No, I like out. a good Stephen King, but other than that, really? mostly just nonfiction. Yeah. Lots of yeah. brain science. I love reading. Brain science. science. Mm-hmm. I like to read some uh, some psychology, definitely here and there. Yeah. Uh, I like reading uh, C.G. Young, some of his old, old, you know, of course it's old. He's been dead for a long time, but yeah. a lot of his stuff, a lot of his books are, are I like just Noam great Chom- reads. Chomsky as Do well. You know? yeah. I like to read Noam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, yeah, things like that. I, I like to learn. I like to learn a, about different concepts too, such as uh, teamwork and leadership and things yeah. like that. Try to try to make myself better. Try to do some self improvement. But uh, and and different. Uh, I like some self help books too. I like to know what what works in in practical senses. You know, like with anxiety and and mm-hmm. you know different things like that. And also, of course, I can spread that information to others who who may need that help too. Right. So by reading, you can also spread that word to others who maybe didn't have that book or don't read at all, and they can also benefit from that. Well, and you also keep your brain healthy because mm-hmm. a lot of people are like, well, why do I slip down cognitively as I get older? Well, it's because you don't do things like right. exercise. You don't do things like read. and Because and, you have the ability, neuroplasticity says, you can build your brain until the day you die. So I'm planned. That's why I'm, I'm trying to always inundate my brain with new experiences. Nice. I like to go new places. I, you know, the, the jump out of the airplane certainly was like a perspective building thing that I'm like, whoa, I can't believe I didn't mm. have this perspective 20 years ago. I wish I would have done it sooner. Right. But I like doing that because I know what it's going to do for my brain. And you know what? I'm going to be cognitively available as much as I possibly can till the day I'm done. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to experience this life. I only get it once and I'm not going to sit around on the sidelines and wait for whatever to happen, that it's a convenient time for me to do whatever I I want to do mm-hmm. because you only get it once. And was it too awful long ago that science had the perspective that was different than today in that, you know, if you, your brain cells only lasted you know, one time around, they didn't regenerate, mm-hmm. you didn't make new new brain cells. Mm-hmm. Now we know, now we know different, we know right. better, you know, we right. know that by doing different, different activities and, and experiencing different things that we actually build new neural pathways that change the brain. Our, our, our brain is actually the, the actual structure of it at the very micro level, but it, it's, it's, it's always changing. It's a process itself, it right? Mm-hmm. And the things that you do actually change those pathways to right. create the process that it is. And right. so it's always changing. That's what mindfulness is. So that's why it's so special because it builds a, a special pathway in a certain part in your brain that allows you to become more self-regulated over time. It builds that as a mechanism for you to go to mm-hmm. if you do it proactively, especially. And that's what I love most about that practice. There's only two things that get cortisol out of your body and that's that breathing practice and, and exercise. Other than that, we're, you know, all the things we do to take a bath or whatever, you know, whenever we say self-care. Right. 
that's mostly bullshit because if you're not doing either a breathing practice or exercise or both is what I want to do, um, then you're not really doing any kind of self care. Mm -hmm. You're just, you know, doing some activities, checking some boxes, going <laughs> to get your feet done or whatever, drinking a beer, you know, whatever it is that calms you, but that's not really over time going to sustain you. You're not building a pathway to actually be calm. You're mm -hmm. just maladapting your coping skills. <laughs> this is what you're building. Well, you're distracting so, yourself for you a little are. bit, right? Yep. I mean, you, you can drink that beer, take that bath, and it's for that point in time, you get a little bit of a respite from... You do, but you're not building something for the right. long term. Right. And you're not really releasing, you're not really making the cortisol in your body go down that much. Okay. If you're just doing those activities, mm -hmm. the two main are just that breathing. You have to do deep breathing and you have to do exercise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So breathing is huge. It, it, the reason why it's mindfulness practice is because you're practicing, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. But the goal is to be able to use mindfulness not just for the practice but in life, right? Mm -hmm. To become more aware, to become more mindful, to be present in the moment most of the mm -hmm. time, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what you're gearing up toward, and that's what you're building in your brain, correct? Right, right. So you can make more choices with the logical part of your brain, with mm -hmm. the compassion part of your brain, right. versus that amygdala that does the emotion part. Right. Mm -hmm. So in DBT, we call that the, the wise mind um, which is the regulation of the emotion mind and the, the intellectual mind. Right. Um, and to be able to balance that is important because we do want emotion in our lives, right? We don't, totally. we don't want to completely be cold, calculated robots. No, we can use that emotion as a filter. Hmm. We can still use it as a filter. It just, we don't want it to completely make our decision for us because if it makes our decision for us, most likely it's in that fight, flight, freeze, or appease mode. And then we're not using the logic and memory thing, those experiences that aren't really helping us to, to, to get better. Yeah. Then we're just going to do whatever. And that sometimes that's okay. It depends on what the, you know, like whenever I see a, when I see a bear in the woods, it's a good thing that I have that alarm system. Cause right. yes, I know what to do. But at the same time, whenever I see a spider, if I was afraid, which I'm not afraid of spiders, but some people are, mm -hmm. you know, I've seen people run across the room for a dime sized spider. Grown they men. feel the same way. Yes. <laughs> Is that you? No, it's not okay, me. Just, <laughs> just, I said grown men. I know some grown men right. who will scream like a little over a dime sized yes. spider. And, yes. and so, I mean, I believe that if we, if we, you know, become more mindful, then you can say, whoa, there's a spider. And then the logic says, wait, spiders can't kill me. That little spider can't kill me. So I can make some choices here. Right. I don't have to run. Right. So that's, that's but where that intervenes at. I go get a shoe and I... Squish the I don't spider. believe in squishing spiders, you but okay. <laughs> no. My daughter squished one the other day as a reactionary thing. Like uh -huh. she was cleaning something and she picked up one and one came out and she smashed it. She felt bad about it for like two days. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Because we carry them out and put them outside. Because, I, I do that yeah. a lot too. Yeah. I, my, my wife's like, what are you doing? I'm, like, I'm carrying this bug, whatever it is. Because out. it kills us mosquitoes. And right now I live in the bayou. I need all the, all the spiders I can. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Spiders eat a lot of different bugs in <laughs> they the do. house. And so they're actually good to have. They are. But then again, they're spiders. And as long as they don't get on me while I'm asleep, it's okay. They that, will. That's the An thing. average of three a year get on you while you're asleep. So get over it. Right. I hear you eat a lot of them. <laughs> so. I hear I you know. eat some of them too. Yeah, you right. do. They, yep. Yeah. As as, he's like, oh God, I'm never sleeping no, again. as long as I don't know about it, <laughs> yeah, I'm good. You, well, you do not, now. I'm doing that because I've seen it on Facebook. It's a meme. I'm going to prune that away in my okay, sleep tonight. Don't good. worry about it. Don't touch so. an iron tomorrow. <laughs> I had another question for you, Michelle. Do mm -hmm. you do you ever try to practice mindfulness during exercise? Or, or no, no, uh, no, no. I try to only do mindful breathing whenever I'm do. I try to do it when I can't do anything else because okay. then I'm not really focused. Okay. Um, and whenever I'm exercising, I go to a, a 
uh, high impact or high intensity interval training, and I can't even think. Okay, sure. Okay. Uh, all I can do is just try to remember to breathe. Okay. Because it's killing me right now. I'm but trying. It's good. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be more conscious during exercise. Like th- there's a level of awareness that you need to have when you're using a muscle group in order to make sure that you're doing it functionally, right? It, to, to the highest level. You want to make sure that your um, uh, Help me out here, Colt. Your form is correct, right? Okay. Yeah. And I do so, worry about that a little bit, that I'm not as aware of that as I'd like to be because mm-hmm. I've had some sore spots and I'm like, ooh, I think I wasn't doing that right yesterday. Right. If, if you're not if you're not aware enough, you're going to be Hurt more susceptible right? to injury, right? I, I, guess, I guess most people wouldn't really call that mindfulness. I guess like you hear the mind-muscle connection. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, I guess it is a, form, it of, is. It is a form of mindfulness, but I yeah. guess people wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily think that. You just mm-hmm. think, okay, I'm doing this. This is where I should feel it at, and go go up on your day. I guess I, of course, you're going to separate your mindfulness practice, like your deep breathing, to where you are, you know, just being mindful uh, in, in that practice with with your breathing, uh, but. Can't you use that during exercise? I oh, guess yeah. It's, you you know, can be mindful in a lot of be, activities. Right. I just tend, just particularly um, the the boot camp that I go to, uh-huh. um, I'm in survival mode still. I've only been to like 16 camps. Gotcha. And, and it's, it's something new for me. So all I can do is I'm in survival mode during that time and just trying to stay moving and doing mm-hmm. all the things. I love it. And it's a little bit addictive, I can see, because they change it every day. So my muscles are never used to anything. Ah. But it's also this fear of, am I doing it right a lot? And am I, I don't know, also the self-judgment of, <laughs> there's these, all these other women who have been to like 100 camps. And of course, so they look, they you know, they can do a pull up and I can't yet, but I'm going to get there. Another um, reason why you've <laughs> got to be mindful, right, though? Yeah. Non-judgmentalness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the, I, kind of, the kind of competition, too, right? The kind of feeds... Yeah. Yeah. Which is also very beneficial. Yeah. What's cool is that the, the, the environment that they set up there is that, you know, people who are experienced will come up next to you and encourage you. They're like, oh yeah, let's do two more. Let's do five more. So it's like a personal training class together. Mm -hmm. I really love that. Um, but I do find myself trying really hard to be mindful when I'm driving. I don't, um, I don't use my phone. Mm-hmm. Um, I do listen to music, but sometimes I don't like whenever there's weather, I'll turn off the music and I just focus on, sure. on driving and I do breathe because that keeps me calm and centered and it keeps me in this part of my brain if I need to react. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want that <laughs> because I know that if I hit the brakes, whenever I'm hydroplaning that I'm going to slide and I don't want that. Right. <laughs> so I'm going to think, um, and, and, and whenever I'm, whenever I know I'm going to be talking to people, that's also a time that I really try to pay attention to how aware I am of where of how I'm coming to the table. Um, I'm not so good at that with texting. I find that my texting tends to be more emotional because mm. I tend to just do it really fast and not really think it through. Emails, all up here because I read them eight times before I send them. But text, text. I, yeah, I, I find myself like quickly and then I'm like, whoa, why did I say that? Or wow, that sounded not so, because I find myself being really direct and shorter with texts and then I read it. I'm like, what the hell did I just say that for? I do both those the same emails and texts. Like I'll, I'll read it a couple of times and then I'll still be paranoid later on. Really? Like, if, like, like if I send something and I don't get a reply pretty, pretty soon, I'll be like, little what if I sent that to the it? wrong person? Yeah. Right. Or, you know, so then I'm double checking. Or what did that or, sound like? Yeah. They're yeah. mad. Again. Right. Yeah. They're mad. No, uh-huh. they, they hate me. I know. I just <laughs> sort of want to just start sending voice. Like just, I just record myself talking and just uh-huh. send that because I kind of wish people heard my voice whenever I say things because I am really direct and I know that some things that I write sound not like me, but if you heard me say it, you'd be like, oh, it's totally cool. Mm. Right. But when you read it, you're like, wow, Michelle, that's 
really harsh, <laughs> but that's not ex- with with me with the me behind it. It makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm misunderstood a lot by the, they, they need your tone. <laughs> they need your tone of voice. They need, so they... Yes, they need my face. They need my mirroring system because right. I'm a big sarcastic fool and I say things the wrong way. And when you're around me enough, they're like, "Oh, Michelle, it's it's just you." It's you know, just, it's just Michelle. Just Michelle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's interesting. With the boot camp thing, I, I can see why it's it's not. Uh, so easy to practice mindfulness in that or to be that aware because it's just like you're just trying to keep it, it's hard it it's is. very physically taxing and all I'm of your stronger though i already feel it you're looking great by the Thanks. way I, I saw on facebook the other day you've lost 70 pounds still? Is that 75 right? in three years 75 six stress sizes that's, that's awesome, awesome. intermittent yeah. fasting man yeah and then i hit a wall and i was like okay i can't mm-hmm. lose anymore what do i do well now i need to add a different you know different i was always walking and getting outside but i needed some intense exercise right. and i found this boot camp and i love it yeah nice but i feel like that's a balance though in your life though because mm-hmm. you do practice mindfulness and now mm-hmm. you have this other thing which is just maybe even the antithesis of mindfulness it is it's nothing but go 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 it is i breathe all the way home yeah right. i do <laughs> really, yeah. i do my deep breathing all the uh, way home yeah nice. mm-hmm. that's good so that kind of brings you back i guess to your mm-hmm. homeostasis right mm-hmm. yeah so that you can yeah that's that's it that's very interesting very interesting concept something i've been doing lately i've been doing a, a lot on the elliptical lifting too but i'm just really focused on my breathing because i feel like i haven't focused on it enough before mm-hmm. right so a big part of the exercise that i'm i'm that I'm feeling right now is that it's a lot about breathing, like mm-hmm. based on your heart rate as mm-hmm. well. You know, when your heart is, is beating at a, at a very higher rate, a much higher rate, it's harder to get those deep breaths in. Mm-hmm. So I try to manage that from, you know, from 85, whatever the, the resting heart rate is, up to 140, 150, right? And I try to manage myself to where I'm able to get deep breaths the entire time. Something I've noticed is that I can't do it very well if I don't pay attention from low to high. Mm. If I just get high and my heart my heart is beating it's pretty heavily, late. it's too late. I mm-hmm. can't get those deep breaths then. Right. But I can if I'm if I'm working on it the entire way through. So to me, that's that's something that is there, there's a development there to be had. There there's a, there's some improvement there in my breathing so that I can manage my and probably have better cardiovascular health. There's right. actually a lot of professional bodybuilders out there, which of course when you get to the professional level, anything and everything, the tiniest things can uh, will benefit you, but there are professional bodybuilders that will go in depth about why breathing through certain parts of the lift and things like that will can change things dramatically. Mm. I want to learn that. Huh? I want to learn that because I want to start lifting for sure. Yeah. Because I, that's my goal right now is just to get stronger because I feel like the rest of me will sort of firm up the way that I want to whenever I get stronger. So right. um, that's one of the reasons that I joined this gym because they use a lot of weight and and resistance of your body, you know, body weight. Nice. But I like to learn how to do things at home so I can supplement that. Mm-hmm. You'll have to point me in a good direction. Okay, I will. It's, it's yeah. interesting. And once again, leading back to the kids, how much better would – why aren't we teaching – Good breathing techniques in you know in school, right? It's yep, something we are that's, in my room. Well, that's true. <laughs> so fun, even with exercise though. We, yep. I mean, the kids should know this. I should have right. known this when I was a kid, right? Yes. So that when I because I exercised when I was a kid, you know, and coming up, I, nobody told me about proper breathing. You right. know, you had to you had to have been put in the right spot at the right time, or else you're not going to have this information. And most or of play the time, an instrument. Or play an instrument that, that, that required true. it. That, that was one of the. That's one of the reasons I started breathing deeply whenever I was younger, and I didn't mm-hmm. even realize it was because I played the flute and I had to. Had to sustain air. Yeah, yeah. That's that's. that's it a makes good you point. lightheaded whenever you first learn to play. That's true. Yeah. Or if you're if you are in choir at a young age too, you learn to use that diaphragm, you know, and how to force yes. that air in a controlled way over mm-hmm. a period of time. Um, but that, I, I had that, but it still didn't translate into the exercise no. portion. I, I had to. 
to hear that, and then really at the end of the day, I had to come across it myself, and it's something I wish I'd have known a long time ago because would, that would have been really beneficial. A lot of sports and things like that too. You, you know, when you're running laps in basketball or you know suicide drills or whatever, you don't think about that. You think about I got to get this done, and then I'm just going to breathe my ass off when yeah, I'm done. When you get done, right, <laughs> right. Yeah, right. But how much better could you have done it, right. if you would have understood right. how to try to breathe through it? Absolutely. And then all of that would then translate to to then that emotional state that would be better. All of that would translate to better connections and better communication and better choices. And it's that's where that ripple effect happens with teaching them at a young age because imagine, I just think, wow, if I would have had this, my life would be completely different. I know I would have made totally different choices. Mm-hmm. Now, where I am now, I wouldn't want to do that because I love where I'm at. However, it would be interesting. You know, It would be right. interesting just to give that to a kid at a younger age and, and see mm-hmm. long term what, what, what would it do. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm with you. If it wasn't for the the mistakes that I've made in the past, I wouldn't be where I'm at today, right? right. But I still, there's some things I wish I would have done differently, right? And wish I'd have known different things back then that would have. I was changed. a hothead when I was young. Yeah, yeah, I really was, um, because reactionary um, expression was more of my family's uh, jargon. Mm. Like getting escalated was the way to be heard. Yeah, and so whenever I was married the first time. If he wasn't listening, then getting escalated was my way to solve it, which absolutely doesn't work with 90% of men getting escalated. You guys are like, oh, oh, close it up. (laughs) And I know that now, but it sure would have been helpful to have that skill set when I was younger because maybe I could have made a marriage last. Maybe I could have, we could have found common ground and not had to go through a really terrible divorce, which we did Mm. at 21 years old. So, um, and two kids, you know, had to, you know, have to deal with two parents that didn't get along for a really long time. So I wonder if that skill set would have changed everything. Mm-hmm. But especially whenever I was a kid, because I had a lot of trouble in school because I was not very self-regulated. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, very interesting. Yeah. What would Michelle have been like had she done better in school and been more self-regulated? I wonder. I don't know. More questions, right? I know. I already feel, yeah, that's what that's what it always comes down to, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But at the end of the day, it, it's... What I've learned, no matter what, it's better to have come across this information later than never, right? Right. Better, better late than never. Absolutely. Is the saying, I guess. And yeah, so it's still good. I'm glad I found mindfulness when I did. I don't know if I would have accepted it when I was, especially if I would have found it in my early 20s, I probably wouldn't have. I was too no. distracted by a lot of other things right. that will go unmentioned right now. But it was it was chaotic, right? So I don't think I could have actually... I don't think I would have accepted it. I, I wouldn't have focused on it, right? Right. So I, I think it came to me at the right time in my life somehow, some way. I think, it, it, and I think even if you would have learned it in your 20s, like somebody if would have planted a seed, and that's what I kind of wish, is even if I didn't have, I wouldn't have practiced then, mm-hmm. I wish I would have just known a little bit more about my brain so I felt like I had control. Yeah. Because I, did, I, at the time, thought, well, I don't have control. These things are just happening to me. And that's where you start blaming everything around you. And if I would have understood that a lot of that power came from here instead of from around me mm-hmm. and that I was making an impact on, the, on, on what was happening, but I was doing it in a negative way, maybe I could have not said some things and not did some things. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what I try to do now. Yeah. And then I feel like it's made a big difference in, in how I come to the table and not every day. I'm not perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't try to tell anybody I am. And, um, but I do think that this practice has made me the best version of myself. Well, like you said, it's a practice yep. and practice is ongoing. Yeah. I, I don't ever want to be 
in, in life to where I, I've made it. I feel like oh, I want to be done. Right. Yeah. Right. I want to learn till that day I die. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to be a granny dancing. You know dancing is the best exercise. I hope you know that. Uh, I'd prefer to swim. Because swimming is pretty, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm a great dancer. I think so. Boogie with your daughter. You're right. Yeah, I do that. There you go. <laughs> Michelle, we greatly appreciate you coming down. Uh, great conversation. Want to do it again. That's, yeah. You know, we could, we could just go on and on. And uh, uh, thanks again for coming down and talking sure. mindfulness with us. And I love having your perspective. And. Just once again, to kind of solidify the rationale, I'm glad to have your perspective because when it comes to mindfulness and people who have a, a serious practice, a lot of people, I, I just find myself not being able to align with them in a lot of the the higher philosophies that they have, the driving philosophies, mm-hmm. such as the, 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 you know, no free will, the predestination or what have you, or the, um, the complete lack of a self or, and things like that. I want to know more. I, if there's something for me to learn, I want to learn. But I, I just really appreciate your perspective on these things because I feel like um, kind of you're on my side. <laughs> We're <laughs> so a little more aligned. Confirmation okay. bias, maybe, but no, <laughs> that's okay. No, I really appreciate it because you have you have a, a, a very comprehensive practice and you've been practicing for a long time. And uh, so it's interesting to me that we do align more so than than that. And I'm still going to continue to search and, and listen and, and learn and. Uh, all that good stuff from the scientific community at large out there. But I know you and you're putting this into practice. You're not just sitting around the table and talking about it. These are things that you're doing every day and you right. see it in real time. You see the benefits of mindfulness and you know uh, how this is working in the young minds especially, which mm-hmm. is ultimately interesting because they are young minds that are the next generation of people and they're, I, I don't know, it's just, it, it's very, very interesting to no end to think about instilling those values into the younger generation. So I really appreciate what you do, and I really appreciate your perspective. And I always learn from you every every time I talk to you, too. I Thanks. just love having you here. Thanks. I really enjoy talking to you guys. You guys are, are it's easy to talk, So yeah, and that's is. the best thing. Yeah. Yeah. Those that's, are the best kind of guests. That's And that's what we love to uh, to offer, too, just an easy place to sit down and have good conversations mm-hmm. because some great things come out of this, I believe. So I believe so. Yeah. I think I think we all have something to, go, to, to gain from it. I think mm-hmm. I learned something from all of you. I appreciate that. If nothing else, I learned and I had a good time. So that's, if nothing else, very base minimum. <laughs> I had a great time. I had a good time. All that's right. for sure. Thanks again. Thank you. And we're out. Thank you to Michelle Benedict and thank you, CEP listener. You know that we love you, right? Remember that word of mouth is a great thing, so don't forget to tell your friends and fam about the great variety you hear on the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. Please subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you retrieve the podcast that you love and keep near and dear to your hearts. Give us all of your love on the socials and be sure to visit the launching pad for all things cerebral at thecepodcast.com. And of course, if you need to contact us for any reason whatsoever, you can do that at cerebral at thecepodcast.com. That's all I've got, folks. So until next time, be sure to keep your brains warm out there. Peace.